Hi, it's Tony. On today's show, we'll talk college hoops with Pat Forty, and we'll talk to Ray Ratto to get his thoughts on the 49ers as they get ready for the Chiefs in the Super Bowl. And maybe if we have time, I'll tell the pizza story. But first, commerce. Previously on the Tony Kornheiser Show. But Michael Elias is really, you know, sort of squirreling those nuts in his minor league system. He doesn't want to give up a ton, and the White Sox are asking for a ton plus. So, um, you know, at some point I would expect the Orioles to go acquire a starting pitcher more likely via trade than free agency, um, but that might, be, uh, that might be a situation that waits until July. Thank you so much for jumping in on this. I, I appreciate it a lot because, I mean, yeah, where I live, this is a big deal. If I had known it was going to preempt the pizza story, I might have said no. Uh, <laughs> you get the pizza story next week. The Tony Kornheiser Show is on now. Ladies and gentlemen, the pizza story. <laughs> Michael knows the story. It, it's, it's a very small story, but it actually renews my faith in commerce. Um was in Delaware last Saturday, wanted to get a pizza from a place called Casa de Leo. Casa de Leo, I like their pizza. Sadly, the pizza I like most, they advertise as New York-style pizza, but what are you going to do? Because you're in Delaware. My son um, advised me, I don't know that you want to get takeout on a Saturday night. Right, Michael? That was your thought? I just... Pizza takeout in particular, and a pizza place that is closing its doors for a few nights of the week, you know, just because of the season and, and to give everyone yeah. a break. But yes, we always like their pizza. We look forward to it whenever we go out to the beach. So I ordered a pizza, or Carol ordered a pizza. I said, put the name on it, Tony. We want a medium-sized pizza, not a large-sized pizza. There's two sides, medium and large. We want the medium-sized pizza, and we want sausage on it. And they say, fine. They say it'll be ready in 20 minutes. Now, I don't know about you. I, I'm, uh, you know, I'm an early person. I'm not a late person. And my feeling is they build in a few minutes to that 20 minutes. And so every minute that you get there, starting at 20, the pizza's getting colder. So I got there at 15 minutes. <clears throat> now, the Casa de Leo, <coughs> excuse me, on the right side is the restaurant. On the left side, as you face the restaurant, is a takeout place. Right, Michael? That They're separate. I've they're, never they're, been inside. Now, they have live oh. music, I know, some nights of the week. So I wouldn't be surprised yeah. if it gets pretty busy when you're showing up. Yeah. So I go in the left side, and I say, I'm Tony. And at that moment, that's 15 minutes. Yeah. At that moment, the guy comes out of the back with the pizza for Tony. So I nailed it. I was really happy. Well, I got it as soon as I could humanly get it. And I got in the car, and I drove back to my house, which is not far. It's a mile. Michael, a mile, right? So it's not more than a mile. A mile, yeah. That's all it is. It's a mile. So I drive back to the house, and there's you other things the, uh, in the order. Did you put the car seat on to keep it warm? No, I didn't do that. Oh, I should have done that. I never that's, even thought of that. Put the thought. car seat on for a pizza? That's genius. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's where he went to good schools. <laughs> Michael's going to good schools. Um, so I brought the pizza into the house, and uh, shortly, but not immediately, shortly, it was opened, and Carol said, oh, and I looked at her and I said, what? And she says, it's a mushroom pizza. Oh, there was a certain amount of disappointment from her. Now, let me just say, this is not World War III, okay? I don't want to get carried away. I would happily eat the mushroom pizza. It's okay. You know, but I said, what should I do? And she sort of looked at me and I said, I'll call. And I'm thinking to myself, I'll call and tell them you gave me the wrong pizza. It's okay but someone down the line may also be getting the wrong pizza. And I looked at the packing slips, and, and they said, Tony, sausage pizza. So I knew they had the order right. I knew I communicated it correctly, or Carol communicated it correctly, but we got the wrong pizza. And this is what they said. Don't worry about a thing. We will cook you a new sausage pizza. We will deliver it to your house wow. within the next half hour. And they did. And I thought to myself, that's great. Yes. That, that ain't Nautica. Okay? <laughs> that ain't Nautica. That ain't Eddie Bauer. Or I got to call and get the $10 off. No, yeah. no, 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 no. They, they were doing this. And I told Michael this story. And your thoughts were what about this? Because to me, it builds great brand loyalty for a product you like anyway. 
Uh, brand loyalty, this is the power of a standalone shop, something that's not a chain that has to go through so many different protocols just to be able to give you a, refru- a refund or a credit for the next time in. It'd be very easy just to say, hey, Tony, give us your name. Next time you want a pizza, we'll take care of you. We'll throw in some you know, uh, garlic knots. We'll throw in some uh, chicken tender, something like that. But to make sure that you got your pizza that night to drive it to you, that's the customer service. That's the brand loyalty. And a guy, the guy who drove it over, I mean, I gave him five bucks for driving it over because yeah. I thought, you know, that's what you're yeah, supposed to do. Sure. And I, I'm holding this, the mushroom pizza in my hand. And I say, do you, you want to take this back? And he goes, no, 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 you eat it. Eat it whenever you want it. So he got two pizzas. And, and I mean, that was, I didn't expect that. I'm very happy that happened. I assume, as Michael says, that there are standalone stores, you know, that are not Domino's or Pizza Hut, where they don't have to go through all sorts of hoops and they don't have drivers who are out there with 87 pizzas and, and keep warm machines and all of that. And, and so I was, I was very pleased by that. Yeah. It was very nice. Gives you faith, you know? That was very nice. And I, I would order their pizza again I mean, anyway, because yeah. I like it. So, well, well, the nice thing good. is if, if it was a mistake, you wanted to stop it with one mistake and you didn't want it to go down yeah. the line with, you know, an entire hour's worth of delivery orders. So I think they appreciate that communication right there. But when you go to yeah. places, you know, resort towns, beach towns, people have such strong opinions about ice cream, pizza, sandwich shops that you really want to make sure you have that good impression. And they did. They made a wonderful impression. And I'll certainly go. I would have gone back anyway, but now I would go back. So you're still eating great. that pizza, right? Uh, we have a couple of, one slice left of the mushroom pizza, yeah. And how I'll good was the mushroom? That today. It was fine. It was good. I like sausage better, but mushroom is fine. In fact, I would have mushroom and sausage. You know, it's okay. <laughs> it's okay. So let me get to one other thing today and bring my son into this. Yesterday was a very odd PTI show for me because we had three different stories in the A block, all of which centered on economics, one of which was about Joel Embiid and Tyrese Halliburton, and their perhaps danger of not playing in 65 games, which is now with the NBA, the official cutoff number to be considered for postseason honors. If you don't play 65 out of the 82, you're out in the street. That's an economic story. Tyrese Halliburton may get $40 million in his contract if he makes all NBA. So Mike and I talked about that. The second story was, what was the second story? It was another one. It was about the Orioles? And yeah, the-, the Orioles, about the Orioles being sold and, and what the influx of money and the new ownership might do for the Orioles. That's an economic story. And the third story, and the one I want to concentrate on, is the golf story. There are a group of wealthy, I guess you have to be wealthy to be an owner of a sports team in the United States of America in the major sports. It's a consortium of these guys which includes uh, Werner and John Henry from the Red Sox and Arthur Steve Blank, Cohen. Steve Cohn from the Mets, a white something or other. Ricketts, uh, Ricketts from the Cubs. Yeah, Tom Ricketts from the Cubs and the guy who used to own <clears throat> something, the Milwaukee Bucks maybe. And they were, they're called the Strategic Sports Group, and they are producing sports three. Sports guys. Yeah, sports guys. They are uh, producing <laughs> three, yeah. He's a PTI guy. Uh, okay. Um, they are producing $3 billion to hand to the PGA Tour. I'm sure they want to get a profit on it. I'm sure they have a long-range goal. But they're producing $3 billion. And we were going to talk about that. And, and I mentioned, you know, the, the ongoing negotiations with the Saudi Investment Group. Well, what, you know, how many people are going to invest? Are they going to step all over each other? And then Rory came into play because Rory wanted to welcome everybody back to the tour, which is easy for Rory because he's a multimillionaire and he knows he's going to finish in the top 10, 15 times. And it's not so easy for the guy ranked number 60 who stayed with the PGA tour and didn't take the Saudi money. And if you welcome all these guys back without any penalty at all, not only are their pockets lined with tens to hundreds of millions of dollars, but they're going to displace you on a lot of the tour events. So while it's easy for Rory, the guy who's number 60, it might not be easy for. And I, and I talked about all these things without a conclusion because I said, look, I'm an English major and I don't really understand this. And Michael, I just wondered if, if you understood it and, and, and what it points the way towards. I don't understand everything. And again, this is, it's not just the economics of this. It's the, sort of the global politics as to how you might use the strategic sports groups and the names and the, and the groups, the, the teams, the companies they represent to try and dilute some of the scrutiny that comes from getting 
the PIF money. Uh, PIF is under investigation for many of its other investments. And it's interesting, if you look at sort of the, the Orioles and what the Orioles uh, present in terms of where they are with their team, what their... Um, uh, what what the money they owe to players looks like, what the potential looks like over the next 10 to 15 years with that young star power. You think, wow, this is a product that can really climb quickly and, and yes. really punch up against the division, which has in, always In a just great been, city for baseball. Yes. yes. Uh, and, and a great park. They locked up the park yes. for 15 to 30 years. And you look at the PGA Tour and you go, was this a distressed product to begin with? No, it just had this external threat because the tour had lost its identity. And so much of this came from... What does its calendar look like? How do we balance star players at the top versus the run-of-the-mill names that make up every weekend, week-out PGA Tour stop? And that's only going to be amplified. You look at what's going on this month. You have players who are, who are basically cut off, fully exempt players, cut off from these signature field events, limited field events when you get to the waste management just because of daylight hours. So if you look at one of the main months of earning power to get into the future signature events as you go around the Monopoly board, those are the players that are going to be very dissatisfied. And you have the PJ Tour. Uh, it looks more and more like this uh, strategic sports group's investment was to really just try and mollify some of the criticism from taking taking the Saudi money. It still looks like they have to go down the path of exploring that. But you have someone like Jordan Spieth who goes, we don't really need it now. You have Rory McIlroy who understands the larger perspective of we're going to have bigger issues if we have more of our rank and file players who are just dissatisfied with us. But then you come back to as an investment, uh, how was this thing valued so highly? And I have no idea. I have if no you idea. are an investment group, you want to see a return on that, and it seemed like yeah. the PJ Tour is already in a, in a strong position. You can't really expand it much more. You already have a full slate of tournaments, and you're beginning to realize there's a lot of events that aren't the money makers and what do you think the ask is going to be on the players as they start to try and figure out what their calendar looks like or what the demands are to get say somebody like a Jordan Spieth to play uh, in more visible events how does that balance out with his personal professional aims with his uh, you know contracts they don't, with his they don't sponsors? have to play they make so much money they don't have it right now Pebble Beach is one of the most popular television events ever in golf it's beautiful everybody likes to see it and you have Dustin Johnson and Cam Smith and John Rahm playing in Mexico. They're playing in Mexico. Yeah. They're not at Pebble. Something's wrong, right? Michael, something's wrong. Yeah, and you take a look. I mean, if only there was a literary term where you looked at the weather out in Monterey Peninsula that was uh, upset and howling yesterday with the wind. And you look at the forecast and you go, this is likely an event that's going to have to finish on a Monday. You, it's what, what, what an interesting sport where how much does it lose in terms of its potential value by having to be punted to that Monday? And um, the one thing that Liv did get right is, is recognizing the appetite for more worldwide golf and trying to reach out to some of those areas just because of how far they are from the United States that are, are super interested in following uh, men's professional golf. And again, you've seen what, what has happened to the DP World Tour by um, sort of the focus on the PGA Tour, and there's just going to be this empty space there. It's, it's, it is to be continued with golf, but we'll get off that now. We'll bring Pat Forty in to talk about college basketball. I'm Tony Kornheiser. Check out our new NBA show, Beyond the Arc, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, where you can find me, John Gonzalez, NBA insider Bill Ryder, and Ashley Nicole Moss, five days a week talking all things NBA. Whether you're looking for insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news, interviews, or coverage of all the biggest stories in the NBA, our new show is the place to be five days a week. Download and follow Beyond the Arc on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. This is a band called The Other Troublemakers. This is a song called Mama's Bogo Blues, and it comes from Jim Lipson in Tucson, Arizona, but formerly of Lindbrook, New York. Go Owls. They were the Owls. 
Greetings from Tucson, where our thriving local music scene may not be quite as robust as it is in Austin, but at least we're not in Texas. And as for the diverse quality of our scene, let me extend an invitation to Michael Granberry to come out for a visit, where he may indeed be shown something to write home about, or at least to this high-quality pot. Two songs for your consideration are from East Coast Transplant, Eric Schaefer and his band, The Other Troublemakers, from their most recent CD, Dry Lightning. Mama's Bogo Blues is a bit of a romp and an ode to what can happen when your state decides to legalize recreational Mary Jane, as it was sometimes referred to back in the day. And if you're unsure as to what BOGO means, just think of it as a super deluxe use of the code, people. And that's this song, and it plays in Pat Forty. And Pat Forty's going to talk to us about college basketball, but we have to ask him about Sports Illustrated, his employer, maybe not for more than 10 more seconds, or as, they, as the people who bought Sports Illustrated cannibalized it, ruined it, drove it into the ground, and killed it. What are your uh, what, what are your plans? What's going on? <laughs> well, um, we're still publishing. Uh, we'll yep. see by the end of the show if we're still publishing. But uh, as of now, yes, we are. Uh, yeah, I mean, where this is going, I cannot tell you for sure. It's been um, disheartening, infuriating, confusing, confounding, um, and it does feel like uh, you know. People involved, including us ourselves now, like, you know, kind of like we let down a great institution. Um, and so that's, that's not a very good feeling. We'll see again where this goes. There's hope that uh, Sports Illustrated will continue, whether it's the same uh, uh, ownership or whether it's different. But uh, it's all TBD. Everything works like this. If somebody feels Sports Illustrated can make money, they'll save it. They'll throw it a life raft if they feel it can make money. The problem is we live in a time now where journalism of all sorts and sports journalism, there's very little value in it as people just honestly sit around in their basements and opine about everything and get a hot take. Sports Illustrated was not about hot takes. Sports Illustrated was about great reporting and great writing. And, and everybody over the age of 40 can recall a certain group of writers at Sports Illustrated that he or she thought were the greatest in the world. For me, it was Dan Jenkins, Curry Kirkpatrick, and Frank DeFord. Who was it for you, Pat? Um, those guys, for sure. Uh, Rick Riley, also for mm -hmm. me. Alexander Wolf, um, uh, Gary Smith. You know, yeah. uh, you know. I mean, just and yes, it was the kind of thing where. You just couldn't wait to open the issue each week. And I used to go through first and just look at all the pictures because the, the photography was incredible. Uh, and yeah, then lifer. go back and, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then go back and, and decide, okay, the order in which you're going to read the articles. I mean, it was like a, a true treat. Like you would, you would give yourself, block out some time on a Thursday or Friday and, and spend a long time with that magazine and then revisit it during the week. And I, I mean, it's remarkable, you know, stories on, on football games that were happened on Saturday. You couldn't wait to read about them on Thursday or Friday. That's just a very bygone uh, news cycle, but it was worth the wait. Yeah, time goes too fast now, and nobody wants to wait for anything. It was the proudest moment of my entire career in terms of freelance stuff was getting published in Sports Illustrated. And, and no question, there's nothing... And I got published in a lot of really good places and not, it didn't mean as much to me as getting published in Sports Illustrated. Right? You can understand that, right, Pat? Oh, 100%. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, like, when I got my first cover story, when I went to work there, I was like, wow. I mean, that was fantastic. Yeah. And yeah, I was, that's great. <laughs> I was in, well into my 50s at that point. It didn't matter. I was like, I wrote a cover story for Sports Illustrated. You better think that went into a frame. You know, that was, yeah, that it, was the way it was. You know, people should not be allowed to buy uh, great institutions and tank them. They shouldn't be allowed. Now, let me move on. There's an amazing statistic that we quoted yesterday, courtesy of CBS Sports on the PTI show. That if you are ranked in the AP top 10 this year in college basketball, and you go on the road against an unranked team, you're under 500. It was 46.3%. This may have even changed last night as well. 46.3% as of yesterday, win rate, the lowest win rate in the history of rankings with college basketball. Can you explain this? That's wild. And, and guess what? I mean, yesterday, the top 10 teams lost at home. 
to you know yeah, Kentucky, Kentucky lost at home to unranked Florida on Tuesday. Uh, Tennessee South Carolina, lost at home yeah. to unranked South Carolina. So yeah, I mean, I I cannot fully explain it beyond you know a, a trite word parody. But what is bringing on the parody? I think there's no doubt that uh, transfer portal and NIL are, are at work here. You know the the player movement in search of playing time, in search of fit. Uh, teams that should be rock solid lose guys. Uh, teams that are in search of, of help get guys, and, and things turn around more quickly. And so you just have a, a I think a, a very fluid, fickle sport, which is fun to watch uh, really on a weekly basis. And I think it's going to make for a great NCAA tournament, frankly. It's amazing. You cannot, I mean, if this statistic is true, these are teams ranked in the top 10. This is not the number 25 team going on the road against a team that might be 28, you know, just misses the rankings. These are top 10 teams on the road under 500 all across the country. The first question I would have is there something wrong with the ranking system, but you're suggesting the ranking system is sort of doesn't take into account how fluid these teams really are. Yeah, that's what I think. Is is just that there's there's not a huge separation in terms of talent right now between a lot of teams and 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 yeah, that how are you? How's your team put together? How long has it taken them to to gel to come together? I think you may be a bit fragile. Um, and then I, you know, I do think fans are better at uh, emphasizing a home court advantage to a degree too. You know where. They're better at knowing when to be loud, how to be loud, yeah. even, and teams yeah. aren't, aren't handling it very well. It's just it's remarkable to me. I, I the note I made was I wouldn't def- I understand it in football. I understand how the transfer portal works in football. I didn't think it had this kind of effect on college basketball, but maybe it does. Yeah, I mean the the numbers of transfers in basketball have been staggering. I mean they really have been, and it just doesn't take many if you're getting the right guys or if you're losing yeah. the wrong guys to, uh, to kind of change your statement or your status. So I do think that given the, the amount of churn that it's just constantly like, uh, you know, your team is being reinvented every season. And then how long is it going to take that team to come together uh, or not come together? I mean, South Carolina was 18 and three and they've got transfer guys and, I mean, they're playing as well as anybody right now. They won at Tennessee, and then they they won at yeah. Tennessee Tuesday. They beat uh, Kentucky by 17 the week before, and it, I think it took them a while to get everything together. And boy, they're they're together right now. On, on the flip side, too, I will say, I think this gives significant hope to some of the mid-major teams out there, Tony. Like I, I went and watched Indiana State play a, and this is not Larry Bird's Indiana State, but they're really really good they're veteran um they shoot they pass they play an advanced offensive style and they're 19 and 3 and they play drake on saturday and both those teams get in the ncaa tournament people are going to lose to them uh, yeah I, I, I we're going to have jay billis on pti today and we're going to i'm sure ask him is there a team you like i'm going to ask you is is there one team out there where you say yeah, I, I've watched that team. I would not be surprised if they won at all. Um, the UConn that I saw on Sunday looked mm-hmm. like an absolute freight train. And maybe that was just a good day, but I think it's more than just a good day. I mean, they've got the pieces. They have size. They have shooters. They have athleticism. Uh, they, you know, they, they look like they could legitimately repeat at this point. And that's not to say Purdue and Houston and... Arizona aren't really good, but can you trust them in the NCAA tournament because of the past history of, of just incredible flameouts? Uh, UConn, I think you can trust them. It's amazing. If they've had three, over the last 25 years, they've won five national titles with three different coaches. I mean, that's pretty impressive. Let me get, you mentioned Tennessee before, and this is on an, a completely different subject because I think it's about their football team. They are under real serious investigation for rule breaking. Pat, I didn't think there were any more rules. You can hand people money. <laughs> what are the rules that you could possibly break now? What well, is that? that <laughs> this, is, this is the problem. 
that the, there were rules that did always exist, but the NCAA did such a bad job enforcing them, and yeah. people were so just disregarding of them, disdainful of the rules and breaking them, that people assumed there were none. But, well, the NCAA, you know, has kept plugging away at trying to find people who uh, used financial incentive to, as a recruiting inducements, which is not allowed, and... They think that they have something with Tennessee. And the case, yeah, I, I broke the story last Tuesday, and it was characterized as major. People said it was, quote-unquote, big. They yeah. said it was multiple sports. We don't know exactly what they're charged with yet because they don't have a formal notice of allegations, but it's obviously ongoing. Uh, one of the people involved is their star quarterback, Nico Iamaleva, who was a five-star recruit, and what he got before he got to Tennessee uh, but Tennessee's fighting back with fire. So this is going to be fascinating. Um, uh, one person has said this will be a firefight of epic proportions, somebody who's involved. And, you know, the, the feeling is we can push back on the NCAA. They can't enforce their own rules. Nobody's scared of them right now. And so that's the way right. Tennessee is approaching this. Nobody is afraid of them. Um, Wilbon for years has called them Barney Fife. He's probably <laughs> right about this. They, there are, I'm sorry, there are no rules. There, when, you can, when NIL comes in, once you say players can get money, to stand on the corner and say, oh, but you can't get money that way is ludicrous. It's simply, even for someone like me that believes in rules, this is ludicrous. And, and it leads me to something else. Will anything happen to Michigan now that Jim Harbaugh is gone? Will this land on Sharon more on any level? Um, well, to your first point, that's the problem. And it's usually the problem with NCAA rules. They're trying to thread a needle here of like, no, we can't have flat-out professionalism. We can't. So, so we've got this parameter by which you can pay people. And everybody's like, ah, forget it. We're just paying people. You know, and so they just blow right through the, the stop sign there. And right. then you're sitting there, they're left, you know, with a, on a bicycle trying to chase a Ferrari that's blown through yeah. the stop sign. Yeah. And so yeah. good luck yeah. with that. As yeah. for Michigan, that's going to be an interesting one. I, you know, they're still facing major charges. Uh, for the first uh, investigation that got Harbaugh suspended at the beginning of the year, then they are likely facing major charges for the Connor Stallion stuff that got him suspended at the end of the year. But you can't penalize Harbaugh, obviously. Could you That's still right. penalize the head coach at Michigan? Maybe, but they're going to push back hard on that. They're going to say, this guy isn't Jim Harbaugh. Um, you know, can you apply institutional penalties? Yeah. What would those be? I don't know. How aggressive do they want to be? Don't know. Could they hit him with a postseason bowl ban? Possibly. But... That's going to be the great unknown is where that case goes and how, if any, how anyway, they can find a way to penalize a school when the head coach has departed after uh, being a key part of at least the first investigation. Most people would look at this, I think, and say, okay, but Harbaugh left. He left. It just feels petty. What are you doing? Leave it. Let it go. You know, don't you think most people would say just let it go at this point? Well, that's certainly the way the Michigan fans are going to look at it. Yeah, I think Ohio State I, fans may look at it differently. Yeah, um, well, that's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. That's right. All right. But, Thank uh, Go ahead. You know, no, it's it, the way it's, the, 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 that the NCAA handles that is going to be extraordinarily anger-inducing for a lot of people, and some people will get some satisfaction, no matter which way that goes. That's uh, good to have you on the show. Thank you very much. We'll talk soon. Thanks, Pat. Okay. Thanks, Tony. Pat Forty and his wait his podcast. Oh, yes. Did he get off the air? Oh, we lost him. It's it's the college football. Yeah, with insiders. Dan Wetzel. Yeah, yeah. It's That's the college football insiders thing. Yeah, yeah. So listen to it. Uh, you like Pat? We all like Pat. Me too. We'll take a break. Ray Ratto is going to join us from California. We gave him the option of being taped last <laughs> night. He said, "No, nah, I'll get up." I'm Tony Kornheiser. You're listening to the Tony Kornheiser Show. This is the Collars and Co. Read. They sent me. Three shirts. Oh, that's right. They were really pretty. Yes. I have not yet worn them. I, I just, I haven't. Um, you need to wear them under a sweater. I mean, right. if, if you're going to go out, you can't wear them under a vest because they are short sleeves. I mean, you can, but the whole purpose is to wear them under a sweater. 
and I haven't worn them yet. And I was looking to avoid that bunch. I, yeah, yes. I don't have, I don't have that many sweaters anymore that, you know, the traditional either V neck or crew neck sweater, which yeah, the crew neck know, on top of which they're going to look great. Right. Right. Yes. Uh, they under would. which rather not, no, the sweater would be on top, but I haven't gotten to that yet. And I'm, I look at them and I, they're really How'd nice. How'd they feel? They feel great. Yeah, they're really they're, nice. They're nice colors. Are, very, the Tattersall in particular, I really like. Are you tired of uncomfortable dress shirts and shirts that bunch up under a sweater? You really have to check out Collars & Co., maker of the Dress Collar Polo. Their shirts are four-way stretch. They're buttery soft polos with firm dress collars on them. So they give you the dress shirt look, but with the extremely comfortable polo feel. It means you can wear them with anything, under a sweater with a blazer, or by themselves as an elevated polo. I love the notion of elevated polo. You know, it used to be the, the word was upgrade, but upgrade got so common <laughs> that it's now elevated. They're great for the office, the golf course, or for a night out. Um, the collars don't flop down and spread out. They stay firm and sharp all day. So if you're looking for a performance dress shirt or polo that looks great all day, check out collarsandco.com and use the promo code TONY for 15% off any purchase of $100 or more. That's a good deal. That's a good deal. Use the code. This is the Tony Kornheiser Show. Tony Kornheiser Show. Once again, this is a band called The Other Troublemakers. This is a song called My Friend. It was co-written by Eric Schaefer and his wife, Carol. Pretty much speaks for itself as an homage to their long and loving relationship. In addition to other troublemakers, Lauren Dirks, guitar, Jess Barrera, bass, Daniel Thomas, drums. These tunes also feature some of the finest players and singers, not just in the Southwest, but anywhere, including Sonny Gable on vocals, Heather Hardy, violin, Alvin Blaine, mandolin. Michael G. Ronstadt, yeah, that Ronstadt family on cello. Fairly talented. Mikey's brother, Petey, also produces. Oh, and somehow I got asked to play a little harmonic on my friend as well. Eric is a true local treasure who's been devoting a bit of time and energy, helping produce the annual Tucson Folk Festival, the country's longest-running free festival of its kind. This year celebrating 39 years, first weekend in April. It's lovely, absolutely lovely. Michael, if people like... The other troublemakers want to send in their original music for us to play. How do they do it? Send us your music by emailing it to jingles at TonyCornizerShow.com. And that plays in my old friend Ray Ratto. How long have you been in uh, Northern California, working in Northern California? Well, Casey Kasem, to be honest. Yeah, um, thanks. <laughs> I've been here almost since birth, and I've been working since, well, about 50 years. So I'm near death, like you. Yeah, like me. So I wrote some things down um, that you oh, never that, moved. That's never good. Yeah, no, I wrote, I wrote, I took some names. You'll know all these people. You okay. never moved. Scott Osler moved. Mike Litwin moved. Mike Downey moved. Skip Bayless moved. Mike Lupica moved. I moved. Rick Riley moved. Um, Kindred moved. Um, Woody, Woody Page never moved, though, right? He never moved. You never moved. Somebody else never moved. Ryan, Bob Ryan never moved. Are there lessons to be learned in this? You've always been happy there. Uh, no, it's just nobody else wanted me. <laughs> well, beyond that. Yeah. You hey, know. Mobility implies upwardness. Yeah. I, Did I, you found ever... my level, I found my level of mediocrity and dug in. <laughs> <laughs> Did you ever want to move? Did you want I, to? I was offered a job in Phoenix one time. Mm -hmm. But the day I went to interview, it was 126, and the airport was closed because the tires were sticking to the tarmac. <laughs> That's a sign. Uh, it, yeah, yeah. God was basically telling me, you're not okay. built for this yeah. at all. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I woke up one morning in my late 20s, and I'd spent my entire life in New York State you know, college and working at Newsday and working at the New York Times. And I said, I got to try something different. So I asked if the Washington Post would want me, you know, it's, you hedge your bet because at that point, the New York Times is always the best paper, but the Washington Post was coming out of Watergate and was no worse than the second best paper. And it turned out to be great for me, but I just, I wondered if you had that feeling and, and just said, no, you know, I'm, I'm good here. I like it here. No, I mean, one, there's damn little humidity. Mm -hmm. Two, the weather's relatively clement. And three, the people here, while repellent, 
aren't completely <laughs> objectionable. <laughs> All right, let me get to the 49ers. And, then, and you have the historical perspective here. And I'm just sick of Wilbon telling me how important the Golden State Warriors are. Is it seems to me that the San Francisco 49ers were the first, you know, pro team, you know, that the Los Angeles Rams and San Francisco 49ers went out there early and they were the first pro teams. And I would think that they are the number one sports team in that area. Please tell me if I'm wrong or right. Well, first of all, why are you still talking to Wilbon? Because uh, we get paid. Yeah, we get paid. To uh, do secondly, it. Yeah. is there enough money to be paid enough to talk to Wilbon? I, I love Wilbon. I do. I do. I love him. I love well, him. Flaws and all. I love him. I, so. Well, I, I speak for America when I say we're all ashamed of you. <laughs> um, no, uh, if all things are equal, the pecking order is 49ers, Giants, Warriors. That's what I thought. Um, yeah. It just because the 49ers were the first thing here, and football is football. Uh, secondly, the Giants um, are slightly less because the A's were here for so long, so basically it's, a, it's an area divided. And third, the Warriors were largely Oakland's team until the last five or six mm-hmm. years. So mm-hmm. it really is, it, that's the order. Uh, I, I, that's, I, saw, I thought the 49ers would win. By the way, uh, in watching the last two games, I thought they would lose to the Packers, and I thought they would lose to the Lions. Did you? Uh, I would have been surprised if they had lost to the Packers. I would not have been surprised if they would lost to the Lions. Um, the Packers aren't as good as the Lions. Uh, Jordan Love is just now sort of finding his feet. Mm-hmm. And everywhere, basically, if you go down the 22 the, the 49ers are better in about 17 places against the Packers and about 15 against the Lions. So I, I thought the Lions were a live underdog. I did not think the Packers would give them as much difficulty as they did. Yeah. Purdy was great in the second half. But every time you turn on television, somebody's saying, well, you know, I have my doubts about Purdy. And this, this all goes to his draft pick. Of course it goes to his draft pick. And you want to scream every once in a while, Tom Brady, Tom Brady, what? stop. But is there, are there doubts inside the Bay Area about Purdy at this point? There were not doubts about Jimmy Garoppolo four years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, people here will take what they get. Um, I think the only thing that is cringeworthy here about the Purdy love is that he is occasionally compared to Joe Montana. No. And and Purdy's resume no. simply isn't long enough to even bring that up. But, you know, I would remind anybody who thought that you know Purdy was so awful for three quarters against the Packers and then one at the end, that the day that Joe Montana threw the touchdown pass to Dwight Clark to get them to their first Super Bowl was a day in which Joe Montana threw four interceptions. So people remember the last thing they saw. And beyond that, People who look at football as a matter of finding out who the quarterback is and deciding everything else based on that are certifiable idiots. Um, <laughs> and, and there's not really a dispute here. I, just, I'm sp- I, I speak basically saying that all of America watches football for all the wrong reasons. But in, in Purdy's case, as it was in Garoppolo's case, Kyle Shanahan would love to have... Patrick Mahomes, or Josh Allen, or Justin Herbert, but he doesn't. So he's basically built a team around a serviceable quarterback. And because people want to say that any quarterback who isn't Patrick Mahomes isn't good, well, you're morons, because maybe in the Super Bowl era, there have been maybe 25 game-changing quarterbacks in all that time. Brock Purdy's not one of them, but he doesn't, he doesn't kill you. And at this time of the year, you only have to, you know, to win the championship, all you have to do is not die. So, you know, I, yeah, you, you, mentioned, really you mentioned Kyle Shanahan, who was the offensive coordinator here in Washington for a while, and is the son, obviously, of, of Mike Shanahan. And that's, you know what? That, that's how the gods want it to be. They want to task him with coming up with something. 
It's in his blood. It's in his family. Everybody says he's so smart and he knows what he's doing. So, okay, so produce. It would be unfair to give him Patrick Mahomes, right? Ray, it would be unfair. Um, nah, you know what? There's nothing about football that's ever been fair. You know, it's, you know, if you could get Patrick Mahomes, he'd figure it out. But if he had to have Patrick Mahomes, he wouldn't have all that extra money around to pay Nick Bosa or Fred Warner or, or Christian McCaffrey. So, um, even at that, you know, the, the, the salary cap, as much as I hate it, is a great, a great leveler that you won't yes, have. Is. A team that is great 22 across ever again. You can't afford it. No, you're right about that. And, I mean, I assume there's a healthy fear in that area of, of Kansas City and Patrick Mahomes. I wondered about this. The game is in Las Vegas. Will all the great 49ers, will Montana, will Young, will Rice, will, will they go? Or are they embraced by this team and this organization? Um, if you are a 49er, you are not permitted not to embrace them. Um, the 49ers love to play off their history, even though they haven't won a Super Bowl in 29 years. So, you know, the, the last hurdle really for a lot, uh, for, for the 49er organization was, you know, making up with Joe Montana because they had a bit of a spat over a real estate deal some time ago. But they've come to grips with it. Um, and so, you know, they're, they're absolutely going to invite all the old 49ers they can because it's TV. And the, the current 49er players get it. You know, that's, what, that's part of what you sign up for. It's like if you signed up to be with the Bears 10 years ago, you would have to deal with the fact that Dick Butkus would be around from time to time. So, you know, it just, it's, it's not a burden on them. They don't have them hanging around all the time. But, yes, they'll be there, and they, they get the deal. I would think that if you were the 49ers, you would say, how do we combat Taylor Swift? Well, let's put Montana and Young and Rice in the box and let's do cutaway shots to them, right? Wouldn't that be like a marketing tool for the 49ers at this game? Because at this point, people in their early 70s are not as telegenic as a pop star (laughs) in their 30s. (laughs) But while we're on the subject, I want you to reflect upon the fact that the right wing of the Republican Party, by going after Taylor Swift, is declaring its allegiance, at least tacitly, to a team from San Francisco. Live with that irony for a moment. (laughs) Thank you, Ray. Ray Ratto, boys and girls, woke up early to do this because he is indeed a vampire. We will take a break, (laughs) and we will come back with email and jingle. I'm Tony Kornheiser. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. The Tony Kornheiser Show. Here comes Tony. Here comes Tony. Here comes Tony's mailbag. Got your emails, facts, sent your notes. Here comes Tony. Here comes Tony. Here comes Mr. Tony's mailbag. Gonna read some for all of you. Bet you wish you could do that. <laughs> Annie Kress can do that. She just did it, and you can't. Let's do the Bethesda Bagel ad if we could. Yes, Bethesda Bagels. We love them. You will as well. Just go to BethesdaBagels.com for the location in the D.C. area nearest you. Then pop on in, and you'll be thrilled. That'll just about do it for us today. Before we get to the mailbag, let me just say, when sundown pales the sky, I want to hide a while behind your smile, and everywhere I'd look, your eyes I'd find. For me to love you now would be the sweetest thing. It would make me sing. Ah, but I may as well try and catch the wind. That's Donovan's best effort. That is on the next rung below Bridge Over Troubled Water. Bridge Over Troubled Water is on that rung alone. (laughs) And the next rung has, you know, a multiplicity of fabulous songs. And one of them is Catch the Wind by Donovan. Thanks to our guests today, Pat Forty and Ray Ratto. Thanks to our sponsors today. Remember, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Play and Odyssey. If you listen on the show on Odyssey, then, you know. What do you want us to do? In Apple, rather, leave us a review. Does anybody ever leave us a review? Sure. Really? Yeah, don't ask that seen these reviews? I, I, I don't I, want to see them. I don't think you want to see them. I don't want to see them. <laughs> right, let's do some mail. From our friend Sue Heidel in Cincinnati, Ohio. I guess Lamar Jackson saw his shadow. 
That means two more weeks of Taylor Swift for the rest of us. <laughs> I'm just going to say this now. I tried to say this yesterday. We cut it out of the show. I'm going to say it now. I don't know anything about Taylor Swift's music. I, I, I really don't. But I have to believe that her popularity is such that she must be very, very talented. Just because I don't know her stuff doesn't mean anything. And, and I'm sort of amazed at the lightning rod quality of her being at games. First of all, it's improved the attendance of football enormously. People watch her on TV. They just want to watch her. Yeah. The cutaway shots to the booth. You may think there are too many. I don't think they're enough. So, you know, we differ on that. I will say this, though. I read a story in the New York Times last night. This is not some story online. This is a story in the New York Times about the incredible sort of anger that Trump followers have towards Taylor Swift. Yeah. Because they believe, not only do they believe that she is going to endorse Biden and get her mi hundreds of millions of followers to vote, they have taken to, de to describing her as a government agent. This is unbelievable. <laughs> they think she's a government agent in order to sort of justify not liking her and thinking she's involved in the political process. My feeling about this is celebrities on either side of the aisle, sure. You want to endorse somebody? Yeah. Sure. You have that kind of influence? Use it, if yeah. that's what you believe in. But to just automatically assume that Taylor Swift, to, to, to find this rationale that she is a government agent strikes me as a little bit beyond. That's just me. That's just me. I'm happy to say that. Uh, Bob Boxwell, Lusby, Maryland. I have my home and auto insurance with State Farm. I know why my rates went up exponentially. Can we please slow down this advertising? I feel like I am personally paying every time I see all of those clowns in yet another commercial. Only two weeks until pitchers and catchers, thank God. Yeah, they do a lot of commercials. Awful lot. Yeah. They really do. And it's great lot. to see the sort of a different side of Andy Reid. He's been really funny enough. Yeah. Okay. Here's one from Roxy. Roxy here from the Chuck and Roxy show, episode all of them. <laughs> Thank you for the support while I was high kicking all over the great stage at Radio City Music Hall during the holidays. I love my job. Nothing else like it in the world. I was hoping you could give a shout out to my other and I think better half, Chuck. He's currently working at Skylight Music Theater in Milwaukee. Just opened the show Xanadu this past Friday. Based on the 1980 movie musical starring Olivia Newton-John and one of my favorites, Gene Kelly. The stage production is just as fun and lighthearted and features a disco ball and lots of roller skating. Chuck is the production stage manager on this one, so he calls all the shots and keeps the show running smoothly, much like with our little podcast. The show runs now through Sunday, February 11th, Super Bowl Sunday, of course, because, well, that's showbiz. Sincerely, Roxy. We like them. <laughs> we do. We don't know them. But Very much like so. Them. From Gordy in San Diego, California, formerly of Pinckney, um, Michigan. Mitch Album nailed the narrative inside all Lions fans' heads as we tried to comprehend what the season has been. Everyone has that little bit of doubt in their internal monologue, but for a Lions fan, that voice is a foghorn every fall. So for all the Lions fans' littles from Lake Orion or Lake Orion to Escanaba, I share a hearty lachiserie to a memorable season. And next time you talk to Mitch, ask him what the worst song ever is. He had a dedicated segment on his daily radio program on WJR called The Bad Song Prison that took <laughs> nominees each week and locked them up for good. I'm sure Looking Glass has a comfy cell in there. From Ross Furia in Old Bridge, New Jersey. I was watching the football games last weekend when I heard one of my good friends say nuts are so expensive. I instantly turned to her and I said, you should buy them on nuts.com. <laughs> I then said, go to nuts.com slash Tony when you do. To my excitement, she said, who's Tony? To which I replied, Tony Kornheiser. Then in my head, I longed for her to say, who's that? <laughs> and when she did, I gladly replied, the PTI guy on ESPN. <laughs> okay. Oh, set up and pay off at its best. That was really good. <laughs> From Drew Allen, who encloses a picture of something called the TK Hair Studio, mm. which I guess I don't know where it is. Um, and he says, sadly, I could benefit. Uh, from Bob Lane, in Midland, Michigan, long time little. Years ago, I took an upper level Shakespeare course at Colorado State University. The professor stared a, shared a story about an older student's conversation with him during office hours. When he asked her what she thought of Shakespeare, her comment was, well, I enjoy reading him, but boy, he uses a lot of cliches. That's so funny. That's so funny, because he was the first to use them. Yeah. That's how they became cliches. That's so wonderful. From Tony Bisa, ESPN has reported that Jurgen Klopp, one of the most successful coaches, is stepping down at Liverpool. Is he angling for something fresh and new, an NFL head coaching job, perhaps? It worked for Richmond FC and Ted Lasso. Did the Washington football team take a flyer and hire a successful coach from another sport? Is coaching transferable? 
across sports in the real world. I mean, he has that umlaut thing going for him in his name. We love Tony Beeson. <laughs> yes, we do. Uh, from Cam, Chuck and Roxy, episode 220. It was nice to hear from Jason Bowen when he sent the email last week about you reading three emails from Littles He Knows. Delaware is such a big state, and you would think living in Dover and I 45 minutes away in Bridgeville, we'd run into each other sometime. But I'm glad to connect with an old friend via email on a podcast of an aging, balding orange man and his adventures with attempting to purchase discounted pants. Bowen, you made me feel old saying we taught middle school together 20 years ago, but alas, you are correct. In reference to the ill-fated rain delay at Camden Yards, an usher felt bad for me when he saw what had happened. He handed me a green, hefty trash bag. He asked me, are those your friends who yell every time the door opens? I told him yes. He suggested I find new friends. If you could let Mr. Tony know your schedule for the first week in March and where you would like to meet up, maybe we could grab a beer together and catch up. Littles helping littles. Littles helping littles, yeah. yes. From Jason in Burke, Virginia. Kudos to Dan Byrne for a wonderful show in Vienna, Virginia last Friday night. It was a packed house at Jam and Java. Mm. Many people braved the winter weather. Dan lived up to his reputation of being amazingly talented, brilliant, and extremely gracious. I worry about his keyboardist, though. After his first piano stool broke, his second stool also failed. I wonder if this is how it started for Spinal Tap drummers. <laughs> Fortunately, the broken stool did not lead to spontaneous combustion. Thankfully, nor gardening accident. From uh, Matt Little in Pearl, Mississippi. After listening to Wilbon reveal his rooting interests in this past weekend's conference championship games, I think it might be easier to list teams he will never hope to see prosper. Let's review his recently revealed qualifications for cheering on a team. Be from a city he's lived in. Be a blood rival of one of those teams. Be from a city he likes. That's it. That's the list. Based on that criteria, it's possible that he could be carrying the flag for anywhere between 31 and 32 teams on any weekend. I simply cannot make sense of this. By the way, that's it. That's the list is something. It's, it's a phrase I think I invented. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Years ago. Yes. I think I did it in the Washington Post. I saw it the other day in the Athletic. Really? Yeah. Somebody that used it in the Athletic. I, I don't know if that person thinks... Thought of it on his own, which is possible. It's not the greatest phrase in the history of the world. Or if he borrowed it, and if he borrowed it... We'd like some residuals, maybe? No, no, I'm just so flattered. <laughs> I'm just so flattered. That's art. From, from Tim Zuza. Yeah. I'm um, 39 years old, still one year away from being a man. However, as someone who was born and spent most of their life in Chicago, I was confused, appalled, and frankly flabbergasted at Wilbon's stance on division rivals. <laughs> I'd like to let the Southerners, as well as the East and West Coast residents, that Wilbon does not speak for us, Midwesterners. As a Cubs fan, I hate the Cardinals with the fire of a thousand suns, and thinking of Cardinals fans being upset brings me immense amount of joy. I rooted for the Rams in the Super Bowl a few years ago for the simple reason that two, somewhere 270 miles southwest of me, there would be a packed bar of Cardinals fans full of melancholy as they watched Stan Kroenke lift the Lombardi Trophy triumphantly. While this feeling is not as strong for other division rivals of my sports team, I would still rather attend the Hallmark Christmas Cruise than share a celebratory embrace with a Packers, Vikings, Brewers fans over their team's success. I, I think, but not everybody agrees with that. For no. example, Todd Derry in Orangeville, Ohio. So let me get this straight. And he does agree with it. By Wilbon's ridiculous assertion, as a Cleveland Browns fan, I should have rooted for Baltimore to win the AFC championship game over the Chiefs. The city that stole our team should be my rooting interest. <laughs> Wilbon has said a lot of ridiculous things, like Toronto is in the Midwest, but this one takes the proverbial cake. There was one that supported Wilbon. Uh, this is from Nathaniel D. Chiaravallati in Astoria. I assume Astoria, Queens. If you ever take a close look at your many zippers, you may find in common the letters YKK. I discovered while taking Japanese in college that those letters are short for the Japanese zipper titan Yoshido Kogyo Kabushi Bashiba. Say that three times fast. YKK makes more than half the world's zippers. Wow. Right? From Kat Grenfell in Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania. I finally had David Aldridge moment, kind of. For years, my father and I have gone to see the Met Opera in movie theaters. And this past weekend, we got the chance to see Carmen. The opera was amazing, but I was also excited because in the opening credits, they showed Kyle Kettleson as Escamillo. I told my dad, I know that guy. He listens to Tony Kornheiser, too. He's a little. Well, my dad looked at me like, I don't know what that means, but I'm sure it's important to you. Kyle was amazing, singing the famous Toreador song, knocking it out of the park along with the rest of the cast. I realize it isn't a true David Aldridge moment because I don't actually know him, but I had to share this kind of David Aldridge moment, which is only possible that is to your show and the loyal littles who listen. Isn't that very, very nice? That is. From lovely. Barry Spiegel, Peoria, Arizona. No matter the weather or the fact that just one NFL game remains this year, spring will be here before you know it. Here in Wilbon country, though a bit west of North Scottsdale, the spring training box office for Peoria, the Cactus League home of the Mariners and Padres, opens Saturday morning. 
There's no better sign of the change of seasons here than transplanted plan. Transplanted fans waiting in line to purchase tickets the old-fashioned way, directly from rum-dums like me, the possibly official Cactus League correspondent for the podcast. Feel free to say to tell other littles to say hello. The TK salute would make me laugh, but it might upset the rest of the staff. Selling tickets to another little would be almost as good as getting a hearty smile from Dave Sims last spring in exchange for a hearty lachiserie. Regards from the desert. And one more. Um, from Drew Lowry in Chevy Chase. I was channel flipping and came across a replay of the Falcons-Patriots Super Bowl just as Arthur Blank was prancing around on the sideline <laughs> when the score was 28-3. to I thought, buddy, you don't know the meaning of heartbreak until you've lost by $4 to Nautica. It may be best to avoid looking at the tape of that Nautica loss for a while. If you're out on your bike tent, everyone, as always, do wear white. I'd like to say thank you on behalf of the group and ourselves. I hope we pass the audition. <laughs> You did. You did. <laughs> One, two, three, four. Mama's got a problem. She can't sleep at night. Got a million things running through her head. Most of them ain't right. But Saturday is her happy day at the dispensary. Cause nothing chills mama's ills like buy one, get one free. Hey, mama, let's get up and go. We'll get something fine to ease your mind, your body, and your soul. She don't want no papers. She don't want no bowls. Cause that's just the way, the way my mama rolls. Mama likes her gummies She's always liked the way they tasted She likes the way she feels all day Especially when she's wasted And Mama loves a bargain I can't disagree Cause nothing makes a wake and bake Like buy one, get one free Hey, Mama, let's get up and go Something fine to ease your mind, your body, and your soul. She don't want no papers. She don't want no bowls. Cause that's just the way, the way my mama rolls. Now I don't care what people say about weed and memory. Cause when mama forgets that second bag, it goes home with me. a lot of work just to get the old gal high I'm glad to do it and I'm glad to tell you why after all the hell I put her through trouble making as a child nothing makes me feel as good as seeing my mama smile hey mama let's get up and go we'll get something fine to eat your body and your soul she don't want no papers she don't want no bowls cause that's just the way my mama rolls that's just the way the way my mama rolls Sit down in the kitchen Tell me how you been Let me fill a glass for you 
We may move a little slower Everything hangs a little lower But in my mind we're still just 22 We squandered our days in the best of ways Now when I'm with you The years just melt away And oh, the miles And the wrinkles in our smiles It's so good to see you, my friend Even just for a little while Let's get down to Mexico this year We'll ride a kinder tide Throw back a couple beers There's still trouble we can get into We can crash a couple parties Watch seagulls and mariachis And laugh at things like only we And squander our days in the best of ways Now when I'm with you The years just melt away And over the miles And the wrinkles in our smiles It's so good to see you, my friend Even just for a little while I hold these moments near to my heart Carved out of space Set it apart for the love and the laughter and light And old stories revived Over and over again Leading to the night Let's squander our days in the best of ways Hanging out in the shade With these memories that we made And all the while We'll sit back and we'll smile It's so good to see you, my friend Even just for a little while